Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. Not joining me this week is Brenna Calvert. However, I do have another guest. This episode is brought to you by Hammer Nutrition. If you like Hammer Nutrition products, if you want some ultra-endurance fuel, some gels, some protein without a lot of additives, or some REM caps to make sure you sleep deeply and recover properly, head over to HammerNutrition.com and use referral code 240887. And that gives you 15% off your first order from Hammer Nutrition. If you need that number again, it's 240-887, also available on the Team Strength and Speed website. And speaking of Hammer Nutrition, my guest today is Karen S. Weller. She is an ultra cyclist and also sponsored by Hammer Nutrition, so I'm excited to have her on. Some of her race highlights include finishing first in her age group at Race Across the West. That's a 930-mile bike race between two people. Uh, she finished first in 508, another two-person ultra cycling race the last two years, once as a mixed gender team and once as a uh, all-women team. And this November she'll be competing in a 24-hour solo cycling event called em- Embrago Springs. I hope I pronounced that right. So Karen, welcome to the show. Hi Evan, thank you for having me on your show. I'm Corinne Weller and I'm excited to be on your show and talk about my ultra cycling goals and my races and let your listeners hear anything they want to hear about my nutrition, my training, and different races that I'm involved in. I started cycling in 2012 and started on a mountain bike and fell in love with it. And then in 2013, I bought a road bike and started finding out how much I love distance on the road and decided that year to do the California Triple Crown, and that was three 200-mile rides within one year. So I'm just really enjoying learning all about endurance racing and endurance cycling events. Awesome. Well, so most of our listeners are – well, actually all of our listeners are obstacle course racers. So let's start off with, like, the basic what is ultra cycling and, like, where does that – line start i know for like marathon running it's typically like beyond 26.2 is ultra marathon so where does the ultra cycling line kind of start so roughly ultra cycling would be anything over a 200k which is about 124 miles and there's distances up to 3089 miles and farther on certain races There's two races in the United States. They're the largest races in the United States, Race Across America and Race Across the West. And they both start on the same day and run simultaneously with each other. One starts in Oceanside. Well, they both start in Oceanside. Race Across the West is the race that I've done two years now and plan on doing again next year. And it starts in Oceanside and goes into Arizona, Utah, and finishes in Durango, Colorado. It's a 930-mile race. And last year I was very successful doing it as a two-person team. And we placed first in our age group and 
finished in 56 hours. So it was a really great experience. So when you're doing something that long with a two-person team, what's the what's the breakdown? Like how how long are each of you riding before you switch out? Or is there like mandatory switch out points? Or is it, you know, as you feel tired, you whatever, jump in the moving van and then someone else gets out? And race across the West, you can make your own time. You can decide when you want to switch off and how often when you want to sleep it's a timed race right when you start and you have 92 hours to finish it and you finish once you cross that finish line we decided we had a crew of 10 people that worked really well together with us and we would switch off most of the time about every five miles so once we would cross wheels then our crew car would grab the person's bike put them in the car race up ahead five miles, put their bike back on the road, and then once I would cross, then he would go out. And that made us really successful. But on some of the climbs, he would have me do the climbs. And then, of course, we would take longer than five-mile pulls. And then on the descents, he would do the descents. But most of the time, we were switching off every five miles, and that made us really fast. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It was tough on the crew to work that hard for us, but it worked out really well, and it made it really exciting. And then you felt, I felt like I could push harder because I had that time in the car for five minutes to feed myself and get things ready to go back out there again, even though it was really fast. And then what was it, your – one more time, what was your finishing time for that? We finished in 56 hours. So so we did really well. You would back and forth five miles for 56 hours. Did you sleep at all? I took, I think it was on the second day, I took an hour break. And then if we needed a break, the other person would go out longer. I know that the next day I think he took a little bit of a longer break. But overall, I only took two hours, two and a half hours of sleep during that time. Cool. That's so, impressive. So, and then we also had raced in 2015 with the same partner as a mixed team. We raced the 508. That was our first race together, and it was a 508-mile race in Nevada, and we did really well with that. And on that, there's actual stages. So I started, and then the next stage, after so many miles, he would go out. And then we just kept doing that. But there's certain stages and certain mileage for each stage. And if one of the um, racers couldn't finish their stage, then you would have to go back to the start of that person's stage and take it over and start over on it. But we didn't have to do that. And we finished that, I think, in 32 hours. And it was a 48-hour race. So we did really well with that race, too. Cool. Well, congratulations. That's uh Obviously, very impressive resume there for your ultra cycling career. Thank you. So, with the with ultra cycling, I know like most sports have like a Super Bowl or World Championship. Like, what's considered the most prestigious event in ultra cycling? The pre- most prestigious event here in the United States would be Race Across America, which starts in Oceanside the same time, time Race Across the West does, and it goes all the way across the United States and ends in Annapolis, Minnesota. It's approximately 3,080 miles. 
And I have a few friends that have done that. And you can do that as a solo racer or as a two-person team or a four-person team. In my future, I'd like to try that as a two-person team. It's a really exciting race, and I know it's really tough. And they go through a lot of weather conditions and a lot of different things I heard about this year. with a few racers that I knew that were doing it and that were successful. Have you read the book Hell on Two Wheels? No, I haven't read that book, but I've read other Race Across America books, and I've seen documentaries on it as well. But I did meet the lady that wrote that at the Borrego Springs 24-hour in 2015. I was actually competing with her girlfriend and it was um, – we ended up winning that race by four miles. That was it oh, wow. <laughs> over a 24 period. So it was a close race. It was really exciting. And that's the race I'm going to be doing again in November as a solo. Cool. I read, So I read Hell on Two Wheels, and I've, I've read a couple of the books that it weren't necessarily about ultra cycling, but they, they touch on it at some point. And mm-hmm. Race Across America sounds like the worst thing ever. Like – <laughs> I, I'm an endurance athlete, and I specialize in, like, really long obstacle course racing, and the thought of sitting on my bike for that long, like, makes me want to throw up on myself. Like, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. So the, I think it's something you really have to love and enjoy. I went out for a training ride with a friend last Saturday, and all of a sudden I just kind of forgot he was even on the ride with me. I think you just get in your zone, and you start riding and just moving along at a good speed, and he even told me afterwards, I could tell you were in your zone because I had to apologize because I just dropped him and (laughs) just carried on, (laughs) and all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, and I looked back, and he wasn't there, and so I got up the hill and pulled over and waited (laughs) and apologized, and he just said, yeah, I could tell you get in your zone, and you just start writing so well, and you know, you just think about a million different things, but everything that goes through my head is usually always positive things, and that's what I love about it. That's great. Yeah, so I, I can do the same thing for running and for, like, ultra-distance obstacle course racing, but for some reason it does not work with cycling for me. I, I guess I don't enjoy the sport as much. I've done uh, two iron-distance triathlons in my life, and I've done, like, a two-day – it wasn't a bike race, but it was a bike – it was bike MS, so I think we did, like, a 100 and. 10 the first day and like 60 or something the second day so that's about as close as i've gotten to uh ultra cycling yeah i tried to think today about when i first got into it what made me decide that i wanted to go for a 200 miler and i couldn't really remember other than knowing that it would be a good challenge and that i wanted to challenge myself and when i started the 200 miler i wasn't really sure if I was going to be able to do it, but I just figured I would give it a try and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I really enjoyed it. And then I heard about that they had the California triple crown where you can do three of them in a year and get an award. And so I started looking at the other 200 double centuries that were in my area and they had more climbing and I knew it was going to be tougher, but I went ahead and did it. And then a few months later I did my third one and Then the next year, I got into the sport of randonneering, which is unsupported cycling, and 
it's been a really good training tool because they have around my area about six different clubs that are all within an hour and a half from me. So I can choose different rides every weekend to go to. And they start off usually at a 200K and go up to 300K, 400K, 600K and above. And then you can work your way throughout the year into doing you know, going up from 200Ks to 300Ks, and it works out to be really good training because there's other people around, and you start talking while you're riding and enjoying it, and it's just good for your training rides. Cool. So I'd never even heard of uh, randoneering before, like, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, so I guess there's there's a whole different side where it's unsupported versus supported. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, because the races that I do are supported and you have a follow vehicle that takes care of you and makes sure that you're fed and makes sure that anything you might need, if you get a flat tire, they're going to fix it for you and get you back on the road right away. But within self-support, you're taking care of yourself, you're feeding yourself, you're carrying your food, or you're stopping at a convenience store and picking something up along the way. And it's... It's good to do that as well, to learn all the different things about cycling and your training and what you might need and not have to have the – if you have to help yourself, that's always good as well, to learn a lot more about the sport and what you need to do. So in randoneering, like, do you – what's the preferred method of carry? Do people wear, like, a backpack or is there, like, the little saddlebag you put on the – like, near the back uh, tires? Tire, I guess. The really cool thing about it is everybody's different. Everybody dresses different. Everybody uses different bikes. And some have steel bikes. Some have carbon bikes. Some have the randoneering bags in the back. Some might have like a little rack on the back of their car, uh, the back of their bike with their um, food on top of the rack. It's it's pretty cool because it's fun to look around and look at all the different types of cyclists. And some are racers and some are just casual some are just out there to enjoy it and others want to beat their time every year and they'll do the same they're called brevets and so they'll do the same brevet a 200k or a 300k and then the next year they'll go out there and say i'm going to do that same one and i'm going to see if i can do it faster and it's just interesting because you meet so many different types of people and it's fun to see all the different bikes. And I know when I first started doing it in 2014, one of my friends that I met said, you know, people are going to think you're really weird because you're wearing race clothes, you're wearing a kit and they don't dress like that. But then as the year went on and into the next year, I started looking around at some of the socks that people were wearing and the clothing they were wearing. And I was thinking, I don't think I look weird. I think they look weird. (laughs) So it was kind of interesting. But now I kind of go either way. It just depends. But they do so many fun events. And San Francisco has a huge group, and they have a huge club. And everybody's really nice and really welcoming. And I belong to the Fresno Club, which is a new club. And there's a lot of great cyclists there as well that are really friendly. And a lot of the... Fresno club members go on the brevets and try and do the randoneering and it's pretty new to them so they're more into just the 200k's or or they'll do a popular which is a 70k so it's it's a fun sport and I hadn't heard about it until a few years ago as well and a lot of people in my area don't know about it so when I'm talking about it on Facebook or 
to my friends, I'll have to explain it. And it's a whole different world. And then they have other events that if you do a 200K, a 300K, a 400K, and a 600K in a year, then you earn the super randonneur status. And then they have other things that you can do to earn other awards through randonneering. It's actually originated in France. And so when you, you have these little brevet cards, and so when you're going on a ride, the brevet administrator will pass out the cards to you before the ride, and then it'll tell you different places that you have to go and actually buy something, or there might be an info control so that you prove that you actually rode the course. Ah, so there's no way you can cheat. Yeah, so then at the end of the year, you get all your brevet cards back, and they actually went to France and were stamped. And when you get them back, to me, it's like Christmas because you get all these cards, and they're all different stamps and different um, clubs have done different things to the cards. And I know my first year when I got about 20 to 25 cards back in the mail, I waited till I got all of them to open them all at the same time because I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> So it's it's a fun training for the racing. It it's really good for training. So when people do this randoneering, are they are they trying to set like uh, uh, FKTs or fastest known times, or are they just they use it solely for training? I think everybody's in it for different reasons. So I know I've seen on Strava super rand super fast randoneers and different randoneer clubs. So I think it just depends on – I think every club probably has different groups in that club where some are trying to – it's not a race, but then there's people that say every bike ride's a race. <laughs> so, so I think it just depends on the person and what their goals are with it. Um, I'm – you know, there's also a ride every Easter weekend, and this year – next year will be my fourth year that I do it and it's called the flesh and it's a 24-hour ride and you get a team of five you can have a team of three but three have to finish so it's better to have a team of five and you plan your own route but the route has to be like kind of like an arrow so everybody finishes in San Francisco and I know there's different clubs that have them all over the United States and probably other places but the San Francisco Randoneers is the club that I use for my flesh. And so we plan a route, and the route's approximately 250 to 260 miles. And so you can easily do that in 24 hours. And then you go with your team, and you go on this course that you created, and you pick up your receipts, and it's all planned out ahead of time exactly what you're going to do. And everybody ends up at the same place in San Francisco at the same breakfast place on Easter morning at 7 a.m. And everyone has breakfast together and then they can exchange stories and say how their rides went. In the last two years, the team that I was with, we did um, mixed terrain. So we took our CX bikes and we went off on dirt and then we would get back on the road and then go back off on dirt. So it made it a lot of fun. And it was hard. I mean, it's not easy. None of this is easy. It's all challenging. But in the end, it's always like this great high, and it's a lot of fun to finish, definitely. Cool. The So I, I know for running, like I can go for an hour run, and I feel like that's a, that's a solid run. 
But I know when I was training for triathlons, like an hour bike ride, I feel like I'm, it's like kind of like a warm up, like people are just scratching the surface. So take me through, like, what's your average training week look like and how many hours are you sitting on a bike? So my average training week, I work 40 hours a week and I work from 8 to 5 every day. But I live close to my job, which makes it more convenient. So when I get off work, I come home and right away start making my water bottles, filling them up with heat and perpetuum and getting my supplements ready. And I either get on my bike right away and get out on the road and go out until dusk or I'll get on my trainer depending on how it looks outside, the weather, or if I just want to make it a trainer night and and train for a few hours on my trainer during the week and then now I'm trying to get into the habit as well as when I get up in the morning because I want to get ready for this 24 hour in November getting on my bike first thing in the morning before work just maybe for an hour and then also getting on my bike after work for a minimum of an hour and then on the weekends I always plan a long ride to go on and I like to I mean I love cycling and it's pretty much my life outside of work so I I don't even know what I would do my, with myself if I didn't have that on the weekend. So I really like to plan a Saturday ride and a Sunday ride. But I make one ride. I try and make it a minimum of 70 to 100 miles. And depending on what event I'm training for, it can be longer. And just spend my whole day on the bike and then the next day go out again, but then have the afternoon to do your things that you have to get done around the house. So just depending on when I'm getting ready for an event, my average month for mileage is about a thousand miles on oh. the road. So high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think uh, for those that are obstacle course racers and prepping for stuff like World's Toughest Mudder or other 24-hour OCRs, I mean, I think at least the way I prepare is similar. Where on the weekends I like to do our, my two longest runs because typically you have the most time then. And I try to do them back-to-back to try to, you know, simulate. So I basically do a long run on Saturday, and then I'll also do a long run on Sunday so I can get practice, you know, running on tired legs versus just like an hour run during the week or uh, whatever I'm working on. I know it depends on the course, too, on the race that's coming up. If it's going to have a lot of climbing, then I'm going to go out there and everything's pretty close to me. I have oceans an hour and a half away. I have the desert an hour and a half away. I have really good mountains, Yosemite an hour and a half away. So everything is within a short drive. And so if I'm going to be doing a race that has a lot of climbing, I'll make sure every weekend I go out to the mountains and do climbing. And like the race in November is going to be pretty much flat and windy. And where I live, it's flat and windy. So I have the perfect training course right where I live for the races coming up and then also just even being on the trainer will be easy for this race coming up because it's going to be just out there pretty much pushing for 24 hours straight and not getting any sleep that night and it starts that race starts at six at night which is interesting because you start into the night and the nights are usually pretty cold and then the days heat up quite a bit so it's that's the part that makes it tough for me is it's starting at 6 at night and then finishing at 6 the next night. Interesting. Because you're yeah. going in at the nighttime when you'd normally be going to bed. Yeah, so, so 
we just there's a new obstacle course race as of this year called Toughest Mudder that's eight hours and it starts at midnight. So we are dealing with a lot of the people in our sport are dealing with the same challenge because it's it's an adjustment of having to start at midnight instead of go, you know going to bed. I usually go to bed at like nine, so it's like three hours into my sleep cycle, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so any do uh, you know anyone who has specific recommendations or tips for that? Starting such at a late time at night? I would say just go out there and practice at night. Just go out someplace where it's safe in the dark with some friends and go out there and do your running and your obstacle courses. I know with the 24-hour, I was thinking about, and I have done the same thing, gone out there, and I've had a follow vehicle behind me and gone out and ridden for 24 hours to, to get ready for races like that. And I was thinking about actually going on my trainer for 24 hours to get ready for this 24-hour race because yep. and on the trainer, I feel safe. Yep. I, you know, you're right at home, and then if you need more water, if you need something, you're right at home. You can get off real quick and refill your water bottles. You don't need to be looking for a convenience store or if, it, you, know, if you don't have somebody following you. So I, I think – for an obstacle course type race, I would go out there and just start running at night and make sure you wear your reflective gear and your headlamps and get out there. And I, I don't know where all the training grounds are for that, but I'm guessing even going to like where the monkey bars are and things like that and making your own obstacle course. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some permanent facilities located across the U.S. Other than that, there's like Ninja Warrior gyms. Uh, they're typically indoors and well lit, and then a lot of people build their own obstacles. I like mine. I have a big setup in my garage. Other people have them in their backyard, stuff like that. I know I feel very comfortable running at night because I've done a lot of hiking at night, and I've I've done a lot of a bunch of different races at night. Yeah. So, um. So I, it doesn't bother me at all. I, some people are like oh, I get weirded out because I can't see anything. So for me, I actually – I don't train at night because I feel like I already have that experience space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for newer athletes, I do recommend a couple of night runs just to kind of get used to the bobbling of your headlamp or, you know, making sure your gear fits right, stuff like that. So Yeah, and the clear glasses I think sometimes too can throw you off a little bit when you're not used to them. Yeah. Do you wear the clear glasses? I, while you're- I do not, no. Uh, there's okay. typically – Typically, not really, not really a need for them. Okay. But let, let me rephrase that. So, in 2014, at World's Toughest Mudder, which takes place in Las Vegas, there was a sandstorm in the middle of the night, and then you needed glasses, or you needed go- you actually needed goggles, is what you needed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was a that was an extreme condi- uh, situation, and out of the three years it was held there, that's the only year that sandstorm has hit. Although in 2015. A sandstorm hit like the next night, so if they would if the dates would have been one day off, it would have been a, a very similar situation. But luckily, so does it be windy out there where you have to wear glasses? Like the uh, wind doesn't affect your eyes when you're running? No, no, it's not a. Uh, like I said, just 2014 at Vegas was bad, and 2015, 2016 were fine. Yeah, um, the wind wasn't too bad, so. Cool. Well, I think you hit on some earlier. I think you hit on some very good things. Basically, specific training, right? If you want to prepare for a mountain race or a, you know, for us, it's you want to mimic the type of training you're going to encounter on race day. So 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely some good stuff there. Uh, is there someone in your sport who's typically like regarded as the best, either currently or maybe all time, or is there a kind of a couple names up there? There's a few names, but definitely Shauna Hogan, Race Across America. She has the most finishes. I think she has six finishes, solo, 369 miles. And also she has the speed time on that record and the most solo wins for Race Across America. Everyone in the sport knows her name, Shauna Hogan. And then this year and last year, Sarah Cooper, she did really well with Race Across the West and took the under 50 record and rookie did finish the Race Across the West in two days and 11 hours. And this year she went for Race Across America and finished it and did really well with that too. I mean, her story's great. Shauna's story's great as far as women. And then there's a guy that is amazing, and I hope I say his name right, Christoph Strasser. And he's from Australia. And this year he was at one time a whole state ahead of everybody on Race Across America, and everyone's been talking about him. He's been winning a lot of races, and he has the speed record as well on Race Across America. I think it was from 2014. So those are the names that people really hear buzzing in the world right now on ultracycling in the community that I'm in. There's a lot of names out there, but those are the three that come to my mind. I, the sport is definitely male-dominated, and it's great to see the women come out and get into the sport, and they're trying to get more and more women in the sport. I'm not sure why there's such a big difference between how many men are in it and how many women but even this year in Raw, we had Race Across the West. We had 47 racers, and I believe there was only three women. And in Race Across America, there was 266 racers. Um, solo women, I think there may have been three or four. I'm not sure on the teams how many women there were, but there's a big difference between <laughs> how many men are out there and how many women I feel like that's pretty common in a lot of sports. I mean, t typically tends to be more male, male heavy. Um, yeah. I know, like at least for right for obstacle course racing, a lot of the racers are in their late twenties or early thirties, and like I, you know, women are having you know babies during that times, so right? So they have other priorities yeah. a lot of times, <laughs> you know. Um, uh -huh. So I could see that, you know, that taking away, uh, but. I know in ultra cycling, sometimes the women, like there's some big ultra cycling, uh, not ultra cycling, I'm sorry, ultra running, uh, like Pam Reed has straight up won races, like not one in her gender, like like one overall. Is there anything yeah. like, is that is there a similar situation in ultra cycling where occasionally women take overall, not just gender? Yeah, Sarah Cooper, uh, I'm trying to think what race it was, but she was doing quite a few races where she was taking overall. And I know that's a name that sticks out as doing that. I was hearing about her doing that last year and this year. So 
everyone was talking about how incredible it was and how incredible she is, and Shauna Hogan as well. They're both big names in ultra cycling for women. So these big names, are any of them full-time athletes, or do they all have secondary jobs? I know that um, Shauna has a secondary job, and I believe Sarah, I know she's a mother of either four or five children, and I know that she has horses and things like that. I'm not sure if she has to work outside of the house, but I know she works hard being inside the you know, what she has to do with her children. I can't even imagine. But I'm not sure. But the great thing about Race Across the West and Race Across America is not only do you see professionals come out there, but you see amateurs come out there, and that's the really cool thing about it is that anyone can race it. You have to qualify to race solo. You have to qualify for RAW and for Race Across America. I think on the teams, I know for RAW, on a team, I don't think you have to have any qualifiers. I'm not positive. I know when I did two-person mixed last year, my race partner had completed RAW solo, so I'm not sure if I got in that way or if being a two-person team, we just got right in. But last year, because of doing so well as a two-person team, I qualified to do Race Across America for the next, I think it's good for two years. So that was exciting for me. Nice. Let's talk about uh, fueling. And I know this is at a topic me and you probably both enjoy since we were both sponsored by Hammer Nutrition. But uh, take me through your fueling for both like 20, like an event where you're running, you're riding the whole time. So like solo. And then also if there's any differences between that and when you're fueling for something like the um, two person team events you've done. So, On both the two-person and on the solo, I pretty much fuel the same. It's just that when we're doing two-person, I can pretty much get my own things, which makes it sometimes a little bit more convenient because I know exactly what I want and what I need. But on a solo race, I'm trying to get my crew to understand exactly, and I have everything written down in a book, what I need and when I need it and how much I need. And then I have a communication system that I can reach them through a communication system that's attached to my helmet, and they have it attached to a baseball cap. And as I get closer to the vehicle, I can let them know I need another water bottle, I need some more gel, I need my supplements, and I have everything written down. I like to stick to using Hammer Fuel exclusively and using um, pretty much liquid the whole race it just does better on my stomach and I don't feel full I feel like I always constantly have that energy going so I will take a bottle of perpetuum and a bottle of heat with me which is you know the protein and carbs and then I have my electrolytes and my heat and then I take my supplements every hour to every hour and a half depending on how hot it is outside and just keep going like that every once in a while. I might feel like I need a little bit of something else, so I'll ask for maybe a quarter of a peanut butter sandwich or part of a banana or something like that. But I pretty much stick to the Hammer Nutrition products and just fueling pretty much with um, liquid the whole race, even on the long endurance races. It just I just feel a lot better doing that. My stomach takes that a lot better than regular food. 
I'm glad you said that because I feel the same exact way. Like, I can go for almost an entire 24-hour race just on Perpetuum. Yeah. Like, the carb-fat-protein blend in there, like, it fulfills all my nutritional requirements. And I'm. it's not like, oh, I'm forcing myself to have liquids only. Like, I don't want – a lot of times I'll go most of the event without even wanting solid food because mm-hmm. it, it's providing you the energy and uh, nutrients you need to continue racing. So. Yeah. And I like that they have so many flavors, and I'm not just saying this because it's our sponsor, but I love that they have all the different flavors. And then if you get to the point where everything kind of tastes too sweet, then they have the unflavored. So that's always good, too, because then you can just switch to unflavored. So a lot of times it seems like in the night I'll want the chocolate perpetuum. I think it's because it reminds me of hot chocolate or something, and it's getting colder out. So I'll ask for the chocolate perpetuum and then I'll do the perpetuum tablet sometimes as well. So I I like um, using Hammer Nutrition and fueling with that. Even before I was a sponsored athlete, I was using Hammer Hammer Nutrition. Same here. I I for my first twenty uh, four hour OCR, I used Hammer Nutrition stuff only, and they luckily they picked me up like two months later at the end of the year. So I was super happy about that. I was like, sweet. Yeah. I was real excited. And then you said you take your supplements every hour and a half. What's the, what do you mean by supplements? Obviously besides Perpetuum and Heed. So depending on the event and how long I'm out there, most events being about 24 hours, I'll take two endurance aminos, two anti-fatigue and one enderlite and I take that every hour to hour and a half it's really if it's really hot out then I might go every two hours before I take them and so those are the supplements that are like my main supplements all the time and then if I'm if I'm in a longer race then I'm I'll add in race cap supreme and I'll add in tissue rejuvenator and then if I am going to go down for a sleep break that's going to be about 90 minutes, then I'll usually take a couple scoops of Recoverite right before I go down. And then when I get up, get my anti-fatigue back in me and my endurance aminos and an Endurlite. And then the new product that they use, Fully Charged, I'll take that when I'm getting ready to go back out and do that about every four hours. Take the Fully Charged. So there's a number of products that I use, and they all just go together really well. And you just keep having that energy to keep going. I don't really ever feel like I burn out or, as people say, hit the wall or anything like that as long as I keep up on my nutrition and make sure I don't miss anything. Again, I'm uh, 100% in agreement there. My feeling strategy almost looks exactly the same. I typically don't do endurance aminos because I feel like I get enough um, protein from the perpetuum, so I typically <laughs> skip that. But other than that, uh, pretty much the same. I mostly use perpetuum. I mix in heat just because I sometimes I I feel like the perpetuum is a little bit too heavy, and I like a different flavor. Mm-hmm. I typically have a different heat flavor than perpetuum. And then other than that, I eat a lot of gels while I'm actually running. Um, yeah. So I feel like Perpetuum is not to make turn this into like a a hour long hammer nutrition commercial, but I feel like Perpetuum is like this <laughs> this great product that like no one knows about, 
and I feel like sometimes I tell people, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I use, and they'll say another brand that's, like, all sugar, and I'm like, yeah, that's not the same. And it's yeah. like, all right, yeah, like, if you don't want to switch over to something that, like, scientifically makes more sense, I, I can't help you. Um, but, I, you know, I, I tell them that it's, you know, carb-fat-protein blend, and it's designed for ultra-endurance, in, unlike a lot of these other brands, which are, it's basically sugar and salt, and it's, you just, it gives you this, like, sugar spike that makes you feel good <laughs> for a little bit, but it's not going to, it's not going to sustain that, that long-term energy. And I know, like you said it, I also, something I also say, which I think is not only has to do with fueling, but also has to do with mindset, whereas I feel like as long as I'm continuing to eat fuel, I can almost go forever. Like, yeah. I'll just keep going. You know, as long as you're pouring fuel into the tank, you know, I'm, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I may not be moving fast, but I'm going to be moving. So. Yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, what else we got here? Um, oh, yeah. I noticed some of your workouts, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier. You said you, you ride on a trainer, and some of the workouts I've seen you post in either on your personal Facebook page or in the Hammer Nutrition Sponsored Athletes group is basically, it kind of looks like a video game called uh, Zwift, I believe. Yeah. What is, can, can you, like, tell us a little bit about that? I know for OCR athletes, I personally use cycling as cross training. So I'll mm -hmm. cycle two to four times a week, anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour typically for additional cardio benefit. But tell us about Zwift and like what equipment you need and how that works, et cetera. Okay. Well, my coach told me, I think this would be a great cross training for your sport because it's so much fun and it makes training so much fun. But it's a virtual program, and you use a trainer, and you put your bike on the trainer. When I first got it, I didn't have a smart trainer, but now I have a Wahoo Kicker, which is a smart trainer, which actually, when you're going up hills, it'll, it'll simulate that you're going up the hill and put a bunch of resistance on. And then when you're going down hills, it takes that resistance off, and you're spinning down the hill. But you make yourself an avatar, on Zwift, and you can do whatever you want, you know, make a girl, a guy, skin color, helmet, whatever kind of clothes that you want that avatar to wear, and what kind of bike you want the avatar to be on, and you get on your trainer, and you're on the trainer with people from all over the world training on the same program, and there's different places you can go, like Watopia, different you can do a flat course. You can do a hill course. There's sprints as you're on the course. And the more miles you put on the program, then you open yourself up to different wheels you can have for your bike. You can have, like the other day I went on and it said customize. I had all these new customizations because I've put, in, put almost 6,000 miles on this program. And it has races that you can join in. It has women's rides. It has all kinds of training. You can do your FTP, your functional threshold power test on Zwift. You can create your own training programs on it. And the cool thing is you also can use your phone app if you wanted to. If you weren't doing a serious workout and you were just on there to have fun and kind of play but get yourself moving on the bike, you can use your phone and actually message out to the group that's riding and they have like little horns you can beep and they'll have all of a sudden they'll say a sprint's coming up 
and it'll say it's like maybe a 30-second sprint. And so there's other people, and it'll show the places of the other riders that are real people on Zwift riding the same course that you're riding. And then you can try and beat your time. When you come back around for your second lap, all of a sudden the sprint will come up again, and maybe you did it in 36 seconds, and you tell yourself, okay, I think I can do a little bit better, and you push as hard as you can during that sprint time. And then if you win the sprint, you get a green jersey to wear for – another lap or if you beat everybody you get a polka dot king of the hill jersey to wear it's a lot of fun it just makes working out really fun sometimes people will try and talk and i'll just like message real quick hey i'm on my coach's workout which basically is hopefully telling them i'm on a serious workout i don't have time to be texting or messaging you but then you can follow people on it they can follow you And then another thing that I like is you kind of play chase on it because you see somebody coming up behind you, the screen will tell you, and you can see the bike coming up on, you know, behind you and with other racers, and it actually tell you how many seconds the person is in front of you or behind you. And then if I see someone and I can tell they're trying to get ahead of me, then all of a sudden I'll start pushing harder and think, no, you're not going to get ahead of me. And then they're pushing harder. You're, you see their power going up. They see your power going up. And you're basically racing each other, but you're push, pushing each other into a better training program for the night. So I find myself, if I'm on it a lot, that you see the same people. And then it gets even more fun because afterwards you're messaging each other on Strava saying, hey, good ride that was fun chasing you or you being chased, you know, things like that. It's a really cool program. And I I think a lot of people use it because it's safe because you're inside. You don't have the cars zipping by you, blowing their horns. You're not taking any risks of getting in an accident. And it's just a really great program for training. That sounds awesome. The it is. <laughs> it, it's basically online. It's like online athlete gaming, but yeah. you're you're getting training in, um, and then with all like the unlocked like unlockable content, that's uh-huh. it's, it's pretty funny. And then you said you said people can message each other. So <laughs> I guess my next question is: Is this like cycling's version of Tinder? Like, are people like, <laughs> online matchmaking on this thing? Um, I. I don't know. I guess you could, actually, if you wanted to. I know I've gotten some Facebook friends out of it and definitely Strava followers. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll throw my website out there. I'll be like, hey, check me out, StravaGirl.com or whatever. (laughs) And then someone will come back and be like, oh, my gosh, you know. Or they'll just tell you that you're doing a great job and, you know, I mean, there's ways, I think, on anything to cheat. I don't, I'm not oh, yeah, sure yeah. if yeah, you put your sure. weight in less or you put your weight in more. Every once in a while, you'll see somebody fly by and you'll think, there's no way that person can be doing that kind of work on the trainer. Because it'll show everybody's working numbers, you know, and it'll show different things that you can tell that that just doesn't seem right. But you figure they're only cheating themselves if they're cheating because they're not getting the workout in that you're getting in by doing it right. But, yeah, I'm sure there's ways with everything, you know, because there's a private message area, but you can block it off 
or there's just like I have mine open to where you just message everybody that's on there and I might say, you know, if oh, people give you like a write on and then this little hand comes up and kind of flies in the back of your jersey pocket. So that's kind of cute. So if somebody thinks you're doing a good job, they can click on their phone like to give you they click on your name because all the names are on the on the side. And you see whatever name the person puts in for themselves, whether they use their real name or they use a fictitious name or they just use a funny name, which some people are really creative with what they use. And you can um, go into the app on the phone and click on their name and just click right on. And then all of a sudden the hand comes up and flies in your jersey pocket. And so you know that somebody and sometimes I'll message, hey, thanks, so and so, you know. And then the more I feel like the more you thank people, it's kind of fun to see how many write-ons you can get by the end of your ride. <laughs> and so at the end, it'll say you got 30 write-ons, which meant 30 people kind of gave you kudos or a thumbs up. And so you're like, hey, <laughs> that was kind of cool. But if I'm on there and I'm really doing my coach's serious workout, I don't have time for thinking about trying to get somebody to give me a thumbs up, you know? Yeah. So I guess my my next question is, can I make myself something ridiculous like a panda bear on like a penny farthing bicycle? Or is it like all standard bicycle and standard people shapes? It's standard people and the bikes. I haven't seen all the bikes. Like the other day, I, I realized I had tons of customizations that I could do. And I wasn't sure if it was new, something new that they put on the program or if I just opened up the doors to actually get blonde hair instead of being everybody had brown hair or getting some cute socks and some cute gloves and then they had like three different types of sunglasses I could choose and you know then the kits might say that you're on I'm trying to think what they call it but there's certain um like that you went into I don't want to say version 20 but you're now at 20 and level 20 that's what it is and then maybe you move up to level 21 and level 22 and so your kit your cycling kit can change with every level but then there's all these other cycling kits with all these different colors that you can pick from depending on how many miles you've put on your bike. But I did one thing, and I wish they would do this more often, and I meant to kind of write to them and see if they would, but I went on Zwift on Halloween, and everybody was skeletons, and I thought that was really fun. So everybody on their bike were skeletons. So I was hoping, like, when I went on on Valentine's Day that they would have something cute like that, but they didn't. Like little wings and, like, you're like a little chubby Cupid on the bike? Yeah, yeah. something, you know. But I thought it was kind of cool that everybody was skeletons on, on Halloween. So, but, yeah, it's basic. Um, I think when you put in your weight, it kind of puts – because you do see heavier people and thinner people on the bike. So I think it uses the weight you put in. <laughs> And then, you know, your female male, it gives the women a chest, you know. Right. And then as far as hair, I think everybody, the women just have one little ponytail. I'm waiting for them to have braids or something, you know. But it, can, it's fun. Can you upload, like, a, like if you wanted to, like, upload the hammer logo to your jersey, can you do that? Yeah. Or is it just? I was thinking about that the other day. I was I like. to step oh. up a game up. Yeah, the only thing on your name, when you put your name in, like I put my name in, and then right after it, I put Hammer Nutrition. So that'll kind of, it kind of flies by. So they'll see Hammer Nutrition or whatever team you're on. If you're on another cycling club, you can put that in. And then some people put in parentheses. If they're doing a race, they'll put in parentheses, 
like whether they're an A writer, a B writer, or a C writer. But I think that Zwift has as you do that when you're doing a race so they know what group you're in because they'll actually have leaders on some of the training rides on Zwift. They'll have ride leaders. And we tried to do – we tried to get a group of people that we – kind of knew just through the program to do a group ride, and we started a Zwift called the Central um, Zwift, Central Valley Zwifters. And we tried to do a group ride, but I found that it was too hard because it would seem like when I was pushing, then all of a sudden I saw everybody fall back, and then when I fell back, then all of a sudden they were ahead of me. And so it got a little bit frustrating, I thought. But I did do two races on Zwift last year, and it, it was a blast. I felt really good, and it even has your results afterwards. They'll list your results. If you do the race right and you follow the right course and you finish, it'll have your race results and show where you placed amongst all the other racers on Zwift. So it's, I think it's a great program. Yeah, it sounds great. It looks like a great cross-training opportunity for some of our listeners. Yeah. The, I guess my last question about it is, is it a monthly subscription you have to pay for, or do I just buy a smart trainer and download the program? It is a monthly subscri- subscription. I think it's $6 a month, which to me okay. is a thing, really. That's pocket change. Yeah, it's like yeah. Two, two cups of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah. Or one if you get the big one. I think just like with um, Strava, if you pay annually, you get a better price, or you can pay monthly. But all the... You know, all that to me is just little, I mean, it's a tube if you get a flat, you know, whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing. Yeah. Especially, I mean, if fitness is important to you, six bucks a month is, I mean, that's a joke, right? Yeah, it's either six or ten, I can't remember, but either way, it's well worth it, it's well worth it. And you you don't have to have a smart trainer. When I first started, I didn't have one. I think it makes it a lot more fun with a smart trainer because... It you know it just simulates everything that you're doing, so it makes you work a lot harder with the smart trainer because sometimes you're going up a hill, and you're just pushing on that trainer because the trainer knows you're going up a hill. And so I actually found because I remember when I did the race last year with Dusty Dustin, the 508 as a two-person women's team, she was getting worried because she saw that I was on Zwift so much. And I had, I think, about 18,000 feet of climbing in that race. And she was shocked when she saw how great I could climb. But it was that resistance and that pushing, just like you would if you were going up a hill, that actually didn't make a difference that I wasn't training on the hills outside. I did really, really well. I actually was passing almost everybody on the climbs. There, there was even a video on Facebook because the it was a four-person team that we were coming up on, and we were a two-person team, so they weren't our competition, but they were yelling down from the top of the hill to their racer saying, the hammer girl's coming up behind you. <laughs> Don't let her catch you. And they were just, like, screaming at them. <laughs> it, was a, it made it a lot more fun because then you're pushing even harder because you want to pass them, you know. Yeah. I love that kind of competition. <laughs> cool. I'm going to I'm gonna have to check that out. That seems yeah. like a great option. I know I've used – are you familiar with the Espresso? It's a exercise bike that's – similar but it's like in a normal gym have you ever heard of that no i haven't heard of that okay so i think it's 
it's basically the same thing. Like you enter, it's an exercise bike. It's got a computer screen where you control the little avatar on the screen. You uh-huh. can't customize them, but you do get like a, I don't know, like a eight digit number pin or something. And you put that in every time you ride and it keeps track of your results and, um, you know, it allows you, you know, when you go uphill, the resistance gets harder. Uh, when you go downhill or flat, resistance is easier. When the terrain yeah. changes, it'll make the resistance harder. But it's, I mean, the 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 worst part about that is it's not really the worst, but for the, for those who are serious cyclists, you're not on your bike with your specific fit, right? It's like a normal exercise bike. Uh huh. So, and like I know my the pedals I have for triathlon that I still have, you know, don't clip into that bike, so I have to use like the the little cages on your feet. Um, and it's only I've only seen that at a couple of gyms. I've seen that like one Golds and one YMCA, but they do similar things where they, like during the Tour de France, they'll list, you know, 21 quote-unquote stages that you're supposed to ride over the 21 days of the Tour de France, and they give you like a little digital yellow jersey, uh, or you can actually buy, you can buy like an actual t-shirt if you uh-huh. need it. So. I think I have seen that before at one of the gyms I went to. And the thing, too, about Swift, it'll have, you know, all of a sudden it starts raining and, like, the weather will change. There'll be snow, <laughs> different things like that, depending on what type time of year it is. They'll have the weather change as well, and they'll have nights, you know, and then you'll see your bike lights go on on your bikes. They do all kinds of stuff. They'll have tunnels you go through. You'll go underwater in a tunnel. They have tons of scenery, and if you got a good, like, because of Zwift, like I don't even watch TV. I don't. I don't. I don't have. I didn't have a TV. But then, once I started doing Zwift and I was using my laptop, I wanted a better screen because you would see some of the hookups through YouTube videos and stuff. The way people would have their setups, and so I actually went and bought a TV that I only use the screen for Zwift, and I have it set up just for in front of my trainer to get the colors because the colors are so much more vivid and. And just to get the full experience of all the hills that you're riding and just the things that will – they'll have, like, a blimp up in the sky that says Zwift on it. <laughs> They've just got a lot of crazy things. It makes it so much fun. I love it. Bought a TV just for just for cycling training. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> People will say, why don't you watch a movie? No, no, that's just for my trainer. <laughs> Cool. So I think we covered a lot of great stuff, uh, both with fueling that can apply for uh, endurance OCR athletes. Uh, I think a lot of the things you said about keeping positive thoughts in your mind while Mm -hmm. you're racing and kind of getting in the zone can definitely help people. And then the last one is recently some of the obstacle course racing events have started to do a relay format for these longer races. So 24 hours um, or they do, like I did a one called terrain relay in Phoenix, uh, what was it, March, and or was it April? April, it was April. Anyway, the the thing you said about doing short legs and doing a lot of them yeah. um, definitely makes more sense to get a faster time. So for those that are headed to World's Toughest Mudder in November and are going to enter the relay division, you know, changing out every leg is preferable r- rather than just trying to grind through it and not switch out as often. So before we head out, uh, any final shout-outs you want to give? You can name people, companies, and or, you know, if people if you want people to follow you, where can they can find you on Instagram, Strava, or 
um, your website, et cetera. Thanks. Okay, so Strava, it's my name, Corinne S. Weller, K-A-R-I-N, middle initial S, W-E-L-L-E-R, also on Facebook. On Instagram, I'm Power to the She. And let's see, definitely a shout out to Hammer Nutrition. I love their products. I love their support. I love being a sponsored athlete. A shout out to my teammate, Dusty Dustin. She's also Hammer Nutrition sponsored. We're going to be doing the 508 again this year. And we did the 508 last year and took the women's overall and set a new course record. And hopefully we're going to even get a better record this September. And let's see, a shout-out to you, and thank you for having me on your show. It's been fun. Cool. Well, again, thank you very much. Uh, it's been fun. I've actually learned a lot about ultracycling and randoneering that I did not tracking. I was not tracking before. I also apologize for mispronouncing your name earlier. That's okay. <laughs> Everybody so that's knows. awesome. I probably should have asked that before we started the interview. Good, good job, me. Uh, lesson learned for future guests. All right. Um, and then it, finally, if anyone, the OCR athletes that are listening, has not picked up a copy of my book, you can head over to TeamStrengthSpeed.com and order that online. And if you want more information about Hammer Nutrition products, feel free to message me or Corinne. Is that, did I say it right that time? Yeah, you did. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. Crushed it. Uh, you can message either one of us. And again, we have those 15% off codes that uh, can be used for your first order when placing uh, orders from Hammer Nutrition. So a lot of great stuff there, as we talked about, both in-race fueling and then also for recovery and making sure you sleep deeply at night and just general vitamins and general wellness. So full line of products. That's one of the reasons I was super happy they uh, picked me up as an athlete at the beginning of 2015 because you can use their stuff literally from first thing in the morning all the way to the last thing before you go to bed. Yeah. And they have something for pretty much every stage of the day, whether you're just training, racing, or staying healthy. Completely agree. Again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, both of us are big fans. Uh, I think we've talked for long enough, and thanks again for coming on. That's it from uh, Strength and Speed.